Hello again, everyone. I'm Matt Laughlin. Welcome to Pirates Talk, presented by Jag One Physical Therapy. Thank you so very much for your company. The one thing you can say about college basketball is that the Big East never disappoints. That's never been more evident than this week. Just when you think you have a handle on how this season might shake out, a conference top-heavy with some powerhouses, definite cellar dwellers, and a group in the middle that fills things out, comes two upsets that shakes things up mightily in just the first week of conference play. On Tuesday, Providence handily defeated number 6-ranked Marquette, 72-57, and then on Wednesday, Seton Hall knocked off number 5 Connecticut, the defending national champion. 75-60 was the final score. Kadari Richmond led the way with 23 points, one of four players in double figures for the Pirates. It was the biggest margin of defeat for UConn since it rejoined the Big East in the 2021 season and left their head coach, Danny Hurley, wondering what went wrong. Credit Shaheen, credit Seton Hall. Um, you know, they just kind of punked us um, there in, in, in Big East conference fashion. Um, so just, you know, really, really disappointing effort. Obviously, a lot of the things that went on, the 17 turnovers, uh, just a lot of things not reminiscent of who we've been, uh, you know, really for a long time. So, uh, you know, humbling and, um, you know, credit Seton Hall. They did a great job. With its third consecutive win, Seton Hall improved to 8-4 and four overall, 1-0 and in the conference. It was by far the team's most complete game. Their perimeter defense was outstanding. They were alert defensively. And after some early season play that was, uh, to say the least, a bit wonky, Head coach Shaheen Holloway says the best is yet to come. I mean, I'll be honest with you guys. Though. We, we lost some games that I thought we should have won, right? Um, and the, the, the reason why I'm still excited about this team is because we're still not playing the way I think we could play. Like, and that's why you know, I said it a couple weeks ago, I'm saying it again. Like, we still, trust me, we could get a lot better. I know we're going to get a lot better, and that's why I'm still, I'm still optimistic about the season and about the team. And we still got a long way to go. So, that's, like I said, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Seton Hall's next game is Saturday at Xavier. Following the Christmas break, the Pirates take on Providence in Rhode Island on January 3rd before returning home to play Marquette on January 6th. Now on to my guest, a member of the Seton Hall Athletic Hall of Fame. John Morton was a four-year starter for the Pirates under head coach P.J. Carlissimo. In 1989, his senior season, Morton and his Pirate teammates went all the way to the national championship game where they lost in overtime to Michigan 80-79 to in a controversial finish that saw Gerald Green whistled for a foul with three seconds left. Ramil Robinson hit two free throws, and Michigan edged the hall for the national title. Morton finished the game with 35 points, 25 in the second half, including a three-pointer late in regulation that forced overtime. It's the fifth most points scored in an NCAA championship game and the most ever scored in a losing effort. John played three seasons in the NBA before spending the next nine years playing in Europe. He then coached as an assistant at St. Peter's, moved over to Fordham, and then returned to St. Peter's under Holloway. He talks about all that, including how COVID made him leave coaching, though he wants to get back in the game, and more after this message 
from Jag One Physical Therapy. A proud sponsor of Seton Hall Athletics, Jag One Physical Therapy gets you back to the life you love. Voted the number one physical therapy company based on first-class patient care and outcomes, Jag One Physical Therapy is invested in your full recovery. Your preferred in-network rehabilitation provider, Jag One Physical Therapy, has convenient locations throughout New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. For more information and to find a location near you, visit www.jagonept. John Morton, thank you so much for giving me some of your time. Uh, I know Pirate fans are excited about hearing from you. I'm just wondering, we know the background, and we'll get to talking about your time on the campus and and what it meant to you, et cetera, but growing up in the Bronx, what was it that attracted you to this sport, and what has it given you over time? Matt, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. Good question. Um, at the time, growing up in the Bronx, you know, one of the things that was easiest to do was grab basketball and go to the basketball court and play. Um, it was one of the um, easiest equipment to get a hold to. You just have to grab one basketball. <laughs> of course, growing, growing up, my friends and I, we also played baseball and football as well but um basketball was the easiest to just get one ball go to the basketball court and kind of chuck the ball up and play around so that's the way it all got started i think i was in like the first grade and um my gym teacher he put me against two guys who were really basketball players i was just playing around with the game trying to shoot around and these guys kicked my butt i i can i can't Get that out of my mind. It was a guy <laughs> named Herbie who taunted me the whole time as he was kicking my butt. And one of my best friends who also became my best man in my wedding, well, my first <laughs> wedding and my second wedding, was um, Tony Childs. Um, and these guys were really into basketball. And I was just starting out and just a wild child with it. And then eventually moving on to about third grade and fourth grade, I started to go back to visit my um my kin folks down in Alabama and then my other family in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And I started to play a little bit more basketball. But then when I came back to play in New York, they were like, oh, man, you're too wild now. <laughs> so no one wanted to play against me because I was following everybody and um just playing with a lot of energy. And then I kept that going. And... It's, it's strangely, I, I just didn't pursue it the way other kids had. And when I got to high school, I went to my zone school, which was Walton High School, which the previous years before I got there was an all-girls school. So it was my school, uh, my zone school, and my sister had just went there, so that's where I went. I didn't go to high school to play basketball or basketball institute. I was just going to high school. So while I was playing in gym class in high school, the gym teacher approached me and said, you know, you should go out for the basketball team. And I was like, okay, what time they practice or what time was tryouts? So he let me know how things went. And um, I showed up, I, I remember <laughs> showing up to the first tryouts and I'm looking and I see these grown men with cut off shorts <laughs> and beards <laughs> <laughs> and these tank tops with muscles. And I'm this little probably five, five, 120 soaking wet freshman and I say to the coach um who is the freshman team and he was like 
No, we don't have freshmen here. This is a varsity. All we have is varsity. You have to try out with these guys. And I was like, wow. So I didn't make the team, so I got cut my freshman year. <laughs> and the coach wanted me to stay around because he saw some potential and things I could do. And at that time, I was a very good jump shooter. And I think that's what attracted the um, gym teacher to my um, ability. So um, the second year came around. I made the team, didn't play much, but was um, part of the team. Junior year, I, I started and was a, a big part of um, a nice run we had in the B division. My senior year, I wind up starting and leading New York City in scoring that year at 36 points a game. So, and that's the way it all started for the great John Moore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a fascinating story. And I'm wondering, did you ever go back to Herbie at one point and, and get some revenge? <laughs> no, I, 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 I didn't. Herbie moved before I could get my revenge on Herbie, <laughs> but I did get my revenge on my best friend, Tony Childs. <laughs> uh, just funny. It's amazing, though, what fuels people, right? I mean, you're challenged, um, you're cut, then you don't play much. They have no place for a freshman to play, and so sorry you didn't make the team. You got to just come back if you want. Well, you know, what made you keep, right. what made you come back? Because I guess it would have been easy enough to say, eh, you know what, I'll, I'll move on to something else. Well, I, I just, just think at that time, um, like I said, basketball was a thing in the neighborhood growing sure. up, and most of my friends was playing it at that time. So it was something that I just loved playing and had fun doing. So um, being the fact that I, I think the coach said he, because that first year he actually wanted me to um, stay around and practice with the team a little bit and work out. So I did that for a couple of weeks, and I was like, oh, I can't just sit here. I have more fun playing outside in the playground. <laughs> so I actually stopped and decided to go do that and, how they say, oh, perfect my skills. <laughs> <laughs> and grow a little bit. You said you were 5'5 five, five right. as a freshman. You eventually got to, what, 6'3"? Oh, yeah. Um, when did that I growth spurt major, take place? I, I actually kept growing until I got to Seton Hall, which was amazing. So I think it took some place between my junior year and, and moving on to my freshman year of Seton Hall, the growth spurt. So Seton Hall, uh, as you become the uh, city's leading scorer, Seton Hall starts to recruit, recruit you. I'm sure many other schools do. Seton Hall was not what it would eventually become with you part of that glorious run in the NCAA tournament in 1989 and what it has now established itself as. So what was the attraction? What was the recruiting like? And what made you decide I'm going to cast my fortune with the Pirates? Well, definitely um, being recruited out of high school. My whole situation is just, like I said, different from what we see now with the stars coming out and people going to basketball institutions and becoming legends even before they get to college. Well, my situation was no one knew who I was even coming out of New York City. And even so leading the city in scoring. Year. Exactly. So my, my recruitment happened from there on. So I really say that I was naive. So was my school in preparing me 
because they had never had a Division One athlete as well. So <laughs> the funny story is I had to take the SAT, and my school didn't know it at that time because, like I said, they never had anyone of his standard playing to go Division One. So I actually took the last one, and lucky somebody called my coach and was like, did he take the SAT yet? And it was like, no. Well, he has to take it just in order to play basketball mm-hmm. <laughs> at the next level. So a lot of that goes to say, you know, that, um, like I said, doing that recruiting process, I really didn't know. I, I, I stayed loyal to the teams who came in first, which I visit Missouri, I visit Wichita State. <laughs> I went to these schools first. I visit St. John's because they were my dream school to go to, being a New York City Bronx kid. And the guy from my neighborhood, Walter Berry, had just went there as well. So definitely um, Seton Hall was in the, in the running along with Fordham at the time. So... Just the feeling when I came to Seton Hall, they were in the basement of the Biggies at that time. They were. And yes, and Joe, Joe Green and Dal Walker had just committed, who I played with on a Riverside Church AAU team um, with for like one year. And those guys had signed. So when I came on my visit, those two were actually there. And then just the nature of the program that PJ then was running at the time with Guys like Ricky Burton, Phil Whitaker, Andre McLeod, they just made you feel at home. It was a small campus, so you actually stayed on campus with those guys. You didn't go sleep in the hotel and live a life of luxury, then come back to campus and not know what's going on. You got the whole full effect, and I think that was important in my um, process. Well, it certainly uh, paid off uh, in in many, many ways. Uh, What was it like to play for PJ, someone who I've had the fortune uh, of getting to know over the years, uh, part of my background is I covered the New Jersey Nets at the time. Uh, and okay. then, of course, as a Seton Hall grad, I certainly knew all the things that PJ was doing. And then he moves to the NBA, and I got to know him a little bit. My point is, he's an intense guy. I'm just wondering, <laughs> and I say that laughing and with a big smile on my face, uh, what, what, was, what was it like to play under him? Right. I, I tell people um, playing for PJ definitely was um, it was interesting, but I, I think we caught more of from 85 to 89, the humble PJ. <laughs> so we didn't get most of the cursing that people heard <laughs> after us and um, things that went on. But his intensity and the way he went about his, his job was definitely there. You know, his, his coaches were on point. We were prepared. Um, we, we were focused on practice, so all that was there. But at the same time, I, I think most of the tirades came after us, after um, <laughs> after we graduated, and put them on the map. But on um, the early earlier years with PJ, he definitely had that intensity, and he got after players um, to do better and, and be better. And again, like I said, it was more of he was in, um, we were preparing to be great. And I think that was his start of coaching to be great, mm-hmm. preparing to be a great coach. Well, he, you know, obviously we know the story. He did not have much success. The team did not have much success in the early years. But let's face it, Seton Hall was behind the eight ball in so many ways in joining the Big East. It was the right move to make. We know 
but it was it, it was tough times when you realize the resources that other schools had and where they were. They were just so far ahead of Seton Hall, and there were so many laps that had to be made up before the Pirates became competitive. When did you see some of this happening? Like the grinding takes place, the hard work is taking place, he's recruiting New York City guys. I know Mark Bryant was so important uh, to the success of the team, his commitment to the program, uh, an all-state player out of New Jersey decided to stay home. When did you start to see, uh, because you know, when, when you're a freshman, 10 and 18, just one Big East win, Next year, you get four more wins, two more in the Big East. When did you see, like, hey, I don't know where this is going, but I know it's going somewhere better than where we're at right now? Right. It was it was a process, definitely. Like you said, I mean, one other attractive thing was, yeah, Seton Hall was in the basement when I took my recruiting trip, and therefore, they had nothing to lie about. They couldn't say that this was great, that was great. <laughs> Things are going to be like this. So no one knew. So that opportunity to to come in right away and, and have some playing time and help build definitely helped out, especially with all the freshmen that joined on in, in my uh, first year. And then moving forward, we continue to get some great players from New Jersey as well to go with, you know, our um, talented New York trio and Ramon Ramos, who had just signed. And then you can see in our sophomore year that we started to gel and get better and, you know, during that process, you lose some guys, some guys transfer. Maybe they see the um, writing on the wall as, okay, these young guys are coming in and they're really dedicated and want to win. So I think early on we had that um, that fight in us to say, okay, we're going to go to practice. We're going to deal with PJ and his staff, let them yell <laughs> and, and get through this day. But at the same time, we all were responsible young men and great character kids that they put together that, you know, um, excelled over everything that was going on. And I think during our sophomore campaign, we kind of got that buzz of feeling like, okay, even though we came up short, I think, in the NIT at that year to a, a team that we shouldn't have lost to, it gave us that, that feeling that we, we get through something good here. Yeah, and I just want to be... Uh, just clarify, I, I said one win freshman year. That was the year before you came. They had just the one win. Then three-year oh, freshman year. I didn't hear year. that part. Come on, man. <laughs> I didn't hear that one win. Oh, no. Uh, no, no. That, 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 yeah, that was the year before. And then you okay. helped with your mates uh, elevate a little bit more three, and then it was four in the Big East. And eventually we know where it leads, where it, in the 88-89 season, Seton Hall captures the fancy of America, 31 victories, and you go all the way to the NCAA championship game. Can you believe it's been, what, 35 years? Wow, where does the time go, eh? What was the, what was that year like for you? Yeah, it's a long time to go back and reminisce, but it, it never went away. So let's, let's start there because but, every place I go, whether it's to a different city, even overseas, um, some people came up and they talked about that Seton Hall and Michigan game. So, and then the fact that every NCAA March Madness, you're going to get a glimpse of it somewhere. Someone's going to mention it. Someone's going to show the, the, the game. Someone's going to show highlights. So, it never, that feeling never goes away. And then, actually, I was just looking at something going into this um, banquet 
that I um, attended last night with Rutgers and Seton Hall fans, I was trying to look up something online, and boom, popped up a thing we did, a story we did like 10 years after, I think Brian Phelps put it together, and um, it just brought back all those memories, like, and I sent it to my mom and my sisters, and they was like, yeah, it just felt like it was yesterday again. Yeah. You know, so... Everything was portrayed in such a beautiful manner and the way we handle ourselves and the coaching staff handle themselves with class that it it supersedes the loss because a lot of people saw us as winners and that's the way we carried ourselves and that's the, what the season still mean to us, that we were winners. Well, you absolutely were. And, and, and I know Michigan claims the crown. And for those who don't know, and I can't imagine there's a Seton Hall fan who doesn't know the story, but controversial call in overtime. Uh, Gerald Green has called for a foul on Ramil Robinson, who makes both free throws. And by the way, I don't know if he made two free throws in a row <laughs> the rest of his career, made it to the NBA. He was a terrible free throw shooter, but under the pressure of a national right. championship on the line, he made them. I think what... Oh, yeah. I, I think, And first off, it, of course, you were brilliant in that game, 35 points among the highest points uh, a total scored by any player in a championship game. And so, you know, you can bask and you should in the glory of that, although this it did not result in a championship. But I think what endeared that team to basketball aficionados and why it is so revered and looked back on so fondly, not just because of the glory it brought to Seton Hall, but the way you, your mates, PJ, the school, handled the call. Whether it was a foul or not, and I still maintain you have to play on in that circumstance. John Cloggerty, PJ said, look, he made the call. Like It was handled in such a class way that I think that's what endeared that team to the public because there wasn't a lot of bitching and moaning and complaining. It was like, hey, congratulations to Michigan. We're disappointed. John Cloggerty's a great coach. That's what happens in sports. I wonder what it was like in the inner circle, though, in the moments right after that game when you're in the dressing room, your heart is broken, and now you have to go face the media to just relive what happened moments ago. What was that like? Yeah, just re recalling us being in a locker room. I just remember guys laid out on the floor holding basketballs and clenching their towels that we had just lost. But like you said, we had to pick our heads up and, and go do the media right after. So at that time, like I said, we had a mature group of guys, great character locker room. So it wasn't going to be anything crazy going on. Um, so we held our heads up. Like you said, we knew what we had accomplished. Just, um, you know, everything hasn't sunk in, but we knew that we had accomplished something great. And... You know, PJ and his staff came in and, and gave their message, you know, let's go out there with our heads held high. But it's still, you're talking to a bunch of 17, 18-year-old kids <laughs> that you're not sure what's going to happen when they get in front of that microphone. But I, I think that's the character of the great team that I played for at Seton Hall University, that we carried ourselves with such grace that America took a hold to what we were doing in the process of that run. And then the way we handled things afterwards was with the grace that we did. It, it was a, a magical time. It was a phenomenal run, and unfortunately, it, 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 it fell just short. So we can live in the past, and we could probably talk for another half hour about 
that year and about uh, that moment. But time marches on, and and here we are uh, in 2023, about to move into another year. What what is what is John Morton doing these days? Well, Matt, thanks. I was um actually coaching. Mm-hmm. So I've been out of coaching the last three years since the pandemic, but I was actually, my last job was assistant coach over with Coach Holloway at um, St. Peter's. And we had just went on a nice run and the Mac had beaten Iona for the third time in the tournament. And that's when everything shut down. So after that, um, that year, it was a pan- pandemic year. And I um, decided to take some time off, had some family things to take care of. So definitely put that in the in the forefront, you know, after running around, like you said, with a busy schedule, you know, it's definitely um, you have to take care of family. So I decided to do that. So now everything is back in order. So Coach Morton is actually looking for some work. <laughs> Fair so I'm enough. I'm looking to get back in. Yeah, it was something that I transitioned to into coaching and it was something just as much as playing that I love giving back and just creating and helping um, mold um, youth coming behind us and giving back in that way. And it was something that I'm good at. So definitely want to get back into coaching. Well, you know, based on your background, I'm sure it will happen soon. Probably (laughs) not as soon as you would like, right? You want everything to happen now or maybe yesterday, but I'm sure at some point now as you let it out and more and more people know that you want to come back into uh, into the game that you will because your reputation precedes you. What is your relationship with Shah? Oh, we're, we're good. I mean, he was the young guy coming up behind me. He actually worked out together a couple of times when he was at Seton Hall. I used to go back and instruct and um, work out with most of the guys coming up behind me. So I had great relationships with all of the Seton Hall alumni who came before me, whether they were walk-ons or players, I, I treated them all the same. So they all, we all have that love for each other. So me and Shy, we've been good. We worked good together. So we'll see how things go moving forward. What do you think he he will do at Seton Hall? This is his second year. Uh, you know, he had that great run. I mean, you were part of some of his years at St. Peter's. Of course, he had that, that, that great run, uh, which led to the opening uh, at Seton Hall being given to him after Kevin Willard, excuse me, Kevin Willard left for Maryland. Uh, you know, what do you think he'll wind up doing at the hall? Well, I definitely know he, like everyone sees his intensity and, you know, he is a good coach. So definitely I, I think it's going to take some time, but you know, he will eventually get the team and the pirate nation back on his side right now is, um, the team has been up and down. Like I said, it's only a second year. So it definitely takes time as you move forward, try to grab your, get your recruits in and do things your way to build your culture. So definitely think it's going to take time for him to do that, but he's definitely on the right track. And then, like I said, once you get the players in to play your style and move forward with what you want to do and accomplish in your own, um, within your team and with, with your culture, you know, he'd be able to handle things the way he wants to handle them. Yeah, it, it, it takes, a to- uh, takes a while for that to happen. People don't realize it doesn't happen 
overnight. So do you still stay in contact with uh, some of your former mates at the hall? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, Dow Walker, Joe Green, Michael Cooper, Pi, Pi Long. So it's definitely a, a group of guys. Definitely once in a while you give guys a call, say, hey, how you doing with this technology and <laughs> emails and text messages and stuff like that. But definitely guys do stay in contact. You have Anthony Abrams, Jose Rabembas is over with the women's side at Seton Hall University right now. So definitely run into these guys and, and keep in touch with them. What do you guys talk about when you get together? Uh, just fun times. Just what's going on now. It's all about family now. So <laughs> life, you know, that's what we talk about. So yeah, it's nothing, fun. nothing else. Just enjoying life and how everyone's doing and everyone's health. Well, it's funny, Making right? Sure everyone's healthy. Yeah. Well, amen. That's, that's the most important thing. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's, it, it's funny because fans want to live in the past sometimes and they want to talk about everything in that game. And it was a long time ago and there's a lot of water under the bridge and I get it. It was, it was certainly a moment in history, but for you guys, it is about life, right? It is about what you're doing today and it is about family. And uh, so, yeah, that will forever bind you together. But the right. fact of the matter is there's a lot more to who you are, who they are than just that uh, to borrow it trite phrase that's used every time around uh, March Madness, one moment in time, correct? Correct. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, like I said, everything comes on full circle, but life is life. So definitely try to get that into the, the minds of the youth that go ahead and take advantage of what's being presented in front of you. Basketball could take you a long way. It took me from um, the Bronx all the way to becoming a legendary player in the ACB in Spain and being able to travel to the Philippines and leaving my prints there and over to Italy. So basketball affords you a lot of things in life. So definitely go ahead and take care of those situations and enjoy them because life is short and life is moving fast and life continues. So enjoy yourself and Take your time, young man. <laughs> because suddenly it becomes 35 years and you look back and you say, what did I do? Certainly, you have done an awful lot. You mentioned your time overseas, of course, a first-round draft pick uh, of Cleveland in the NBA. So you spent a few years there, too. So so your history in basketball is, is one that's very broad and it's a great palette. Uh, any crazy stories of play in Europe that you can you can share? Because it's not the NBA, and certainly back then, uh, it was a different world too. Anything funny that you can share? Nah, nothing funny. <laughs> no funny incidents. Um, in Europe, one one crazy thing that um, it's just like over here when you you get to like you said a certain point a certain game and you know you made it. One thing that happened over that. In Europe, we were playing, I played for um, Gran Canaria, Las Palmas, Gran Canaria, and we were playing, I had to be in my second or third year, we were playing a um, friendly game against uh, another team on uh, one of the islands that was surrounding the, the one that I was on. And we walk into this barn, I would say at the time, this was a barn, a big barn, and um, it was packed full house. Remind me of uh, 155th Street playing at the Rucker Park. <laughs> and 
and they bring me to half court and they say, well, this young lady would like to meet you. So it was a little girl, probably about six years old. I go up to her. I shake her hand. She's shaking. I give her a kiss. She started crying. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> I, I guess you have reached on rock star status. So I felt like Michael Jackson in Budapest, like I said, making, <laughs> <laughs> making hands, making babies cry. So that was very pivotal in my life. And I think right then, God touched me and said, you're at the right spot. This is where you need to be. Wasn't able to. I wish that Seton Hall fans and fans in general have gotten to see me play professionally because I was a lot better professional than I was collegiate. And I touched a lot of the hearts. And unfortunately, well, no, fortunately, God put me overseas to do that. Well, that's a wonderful story. And, and the impact that people who have a position of prominence, a platform can have, cannot be understated. And for those who recognize that, uh, it's a gift, quite frankly. There are some who don't understand that. Clearly, you do. So I will leave you on this note, and I do appreciate the time and uh, look forward to seeing you at a Seton Hall game in the near future or on the sideline as you get back into the game in the coaching world. Was it a foul? Should, should that call have been made? Bro, remember I, I told you I did my research the other night, and definitely most of the times when I got to that point of either watching the game or some highlights, when it came down to that last <laughs> 10 seconds, I would turn the TV off and really didn't look. So now, as, like you say, 30 years later, you get you start to reflect on things that you have accomplished, things that your team accomplished and goals and stuff like that. And, and now you're more aware of what that effect had on people. So when I was researching, I did the research and I actually watched again. And now it looks even more like <laughs> he just blew by Gerald Green at that time. Like, I don't even see the contact anymore. But the, another funny story was um, I was playing in Miami Heat along Glenn Rice. And the guys used to bang on him like, ah, oh, y'all stole that championship from, um, from John Morton <laughs> at Seton Hall. And finally, Glenn pulled me aside and was like, yeah, y'all definitely got robbed. But, hey, I'm going to keep on. I'm going to hold on to this ring a little bit longer so you can't have this. But y'all definitely got robbed. <laughs> <laughs> so so you, you really never looked at the entire game, the finish, uh, uh, until recently? It was, it was one other time, maybe like 10 or 15 years after mm. the fact where I can sit down and watch the last 10 seconds and see what happens. So the other day had to be between another 10 to 15 year gap. And, and all I did was shake my head and be like, wow. What, Whoa. Yeah. What, what, what could have been, but that's the way right. it was. And, and again, you and your mates and PJ, the entire university handled it with class. And again, that's what I think endears that team to so very many people. 
Well, John, it's been a pleasure to spend time with you uh, and, and reminisce a little bit and get caught up in what you're doing now. And we wish you the very best of luck. You should be back in the game. Hopefully someone's listening to this or as you as you let people know that you want to get back and get a crack at it, uh, that offer will come your way because someone with your background, with your humility, but with your ability deserves to be in the game and will make the game better. And thank you very much for sharing some time with me. Matt, appreciate that. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Go Seton Hall. And that will do it for this edition of Pirates Talk presented by Jag One Physical Therapy. Thanks to John Morton for graciously sharing his time. He's one of the Hall's all-time greats, and it was a joy to speak with him. And I'm sorry, with all due respect to how PJ and the Pirates handled that call, and it was classy to the max, John Cloggerty should have never blown the whistle. It was a play on, if ever there was one. As for this year's Pirates, they've righted the ship a bit. They're coming off their best game easily of the season. And if they can replicate Wednesday's effort against Connecticut the rest of the way, Seton Hall will make more noise in the Big East than originally thought. And maybe there are some bright nights ahead. Special thanks to Pat Christensen, our audio engineer and the writer and performer of the Pirates Talk theme. His work on the show is invaluable. And thanks to you for your company. It's very much appreciated. Until next time, stay safe, be well, have a Merry Christmas, and a peace-filled New Year. And go Pirates! Pirates!